Good morning, Maranatha. Once again, grateful that you're here with us. Um, <clears throat> a couple of announcements as we begin. As usual, uh, I want to remind you about the resource wall over there. Those books are free. We would love for you to take those books, read them, uh, work with them as they're a, a helpful tool to understand Scripture better. The more we know about the Bible and what's in the Bible, the greater love we will have for Christ because that is what the Bible teaches us about. I also want to remind you about uh, the new community group starting this week with Randy and Sarah Surface. Uh, Randy is our music and discipleship director. He usually stands right here. He's the guy who is uh, singing up here on stage each and every Sunday. But they're starting a group and they're going to be in the Groveport area. So if you're in that direction and you haven't gotten into a group, reach out to them. Their email's online. Uh, they're going to be meeting at 6.30 on Tuesdays. So it's a great opportunity to join a new group if you're new to groups. Uh, really, that's where the life of the church is experienced, so I would encourage you uh, to reach out to them. We also have Kairos uh, ministry coming up this in the next couple weeks, so we're asking everybody at the church to help bake cookies for them. So they take these cookies, they take like some 5,000 dozen cookies into the Marion prison, and over four days they eat them all. Uh, there's a lot of cookies that are passed out. So uh, there's a sheet over here on the Connect booth that can give you more information about this, but they're due this week. We talked about it last week, but they are due this week. They need to get to Mike Beisel um, by uh, Wednesday or Thursday morning uh, so we can get him over there and get him uh, sort of checked in. We also have a foundations class coming up on November 7th. So that's really where we cast the vision and the purpose of Maranatha, why we're doing what we're doing here in Pickerington and uh, what we have to look forward to. It's, uh, it's a requirement for membership, but you don't have to necessarily be pursuing membership to attend if you just want to get to know us better. Although we hope you would join us on this mission that Christ has called us all to. Amen. All right, so those are kind of the, the main things. We're going to be in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. So if you want to open your Bibles there, if you're using one of the Bibles in front of you, it's page 925. While you're doing that, I also want to remind you about the Connect cards. Those Connect cards are used by me and the staff members and the other elders every week to pray over, uh, to know what's going on in your life. And we have collection baskets up here at the stage. There's also a, a box there by the resource wall. Um, please fill those out. Members, regular attenders, visitors, because we want to know what's going on in your life. We want to know how we can pray for you or how we might be able to be of service to you. And if you forget or if you're watching online, there's a digital Connect button uh, so you can uh, fill out a form there. Um, let me begin by praying, and then we can get into the sermon. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for um, how good you are to us, Lord, how you, uh, you give us strength to walk in this world, how you give us uh, peace and understanding because of your son, Jesus, and we gather this from your word that we can go to and hear from you on a daily basis. Lord, you are so generous, and you're so good to us. We praise you, and uh, we come to worship you. In Christ's name, amen. So this past week, uh, I was at a conference with some of Maranatha's ministry leaders, and the theme of that conference was renewal. Uh, what they were thinking was that since we've all been through so much over the past 18 weeks, let's focus on the one thing that can actually renew our souls, which is, of course, Christ. And the way that they did that, and the, uh, the way that they did the speakers, the way they, they, they worked to draw us into that available promise was by pointing us over and over again uh, to the fact that Christians, with our lives, we are hidden in Christ. Everything that we possess, all the potential peace and renewal and the, and the life-sustaining uh, power that we have is because we have been hidden in Christ, which I found to be very helpful, one, because my mind, heart, and soul needed that reminder, but also because that's what I'm going to be preaching on today. Uh, so that was convenient for me. Um, you see, the, the Apostle Paul is right 
when he talks about this throughout Scripture. He's right that we all need to see, know, and believe and rest in the fact that Jesus is ours because he chose for us to be his. The promise of renewal or completeness, as we've been calling it, as we've been walking through this sermon series in the book of Colossians, doesn't only come from the singular fact that we are fully known by God, because if we're just fully known, that, that would actually be devastating to us. Rather, it's found in the truth that even though we're fully known, God loves us. He knows everything about us, and He still loves us. He is ours because He chose for us to be His. And we need, or rather, we should praise Him for that. We should praise Him for that because without Him, our hope would be lost. The, the, the purpose of life, everything that we could potentially yearn for is lost without Him. Now, over the next four weeks, we're going to be going through, uh, or we're going to make our way through chapter three of this letter that's been, again, written to the Colossian church. And again, what we're going to see is how all of this in chapter three is sort of nicely connected together, how each uh, of these four sections that we're going to talk about lead into and connect back to the others. In verses one through four, we're going to learn uh, we're going to learn to set our minds on Christ, who is our life. In verses 5 through 11, we're going to learn about putting off our old way of life. In verse 12 through 17, we will then, it will then teach us how to put on the new life in Christ. And then in verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1, we'll glean some practical ways on how to faithfully live this new life. So that's kind of the outline of what we're going to be have, what we have over the next uh, four weeks, including this week. As well, each week as we walk through this, I'm going to ask you to ponder and, and really pray over two main questions, two questions that I actually pulled from one of the conference speakers. The two questions that I hope that you will again think and discuss and pray over on your own, but hopefully also with your community groups. But I'm not going to tell you what they are right now. You're going to have to wait. I'm not going to tell you what those questions are. First, let's read our passage today, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. And if you would, please stand with me if you're able in reverence for God's word. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, this is what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat, and I can pray for us again. Father, we, um, we do come to worship You. It is a, a great blessing to get to come and um, hear Your Word. Thank You for Your Spirit that gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. And today I ask, Lord, for great faith. I ask, Lord, that you continue to lead us if we, are, we don't quite have given our life to you. I pray that today, Lord, you, you quicken our spirit and you cause us to, to follow, to yield all that we are to you. And for those who have, Lord, I pray that you give us a deeper rooted faith in the foundation that is sustainable and dependable. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. That is how we are able to worship, because you are who you are. It's not conditional on our, on our faith, but we need faith to be saved by you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done through your Son, and the cross and your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So I said at the beginning of this sermon series that I believe that this particular book of the Bible is really this great encouragement for us as a church. I talked about how it's, it's so applicable because it's so much like us in the way that it's talking about this young church that's about five years old. That's really where Maranatha stands. And I still believe that to be true, but over the past few weeks, we've had to work our way through some, some pretty hard truths some really difficult things that Paul has been talking about. Paul has been exhorting and encouraging the people of Colossae by really speaking negatively about some of the false truths that were pretty enticing to the church in that day as well. Again, how applicable it is to us. They are enticing to us even as we live. But now, as we move into chapter 3, Paul exchanges those negative tones really for positive ones. He's, he's trying to be more uplifting, or he's, he's leading in a sort of a different way. He does want us to know that we've been made alive in Christ, therefore we don't need to look for additional elements from this world to feel complete, and that we no longer are enslaved to the law, man-made or God-given. Rather, we are now set free by Christ so we can freely, wholeheartedly serve and worship Him. That's sort of chapter 2 in a nutshell. And in regards to that, R.C. Sproul says this. He says, Obedience is a response of gratitude to God's favor already bestowed and not a means of gaining it. And read that again. Obedience is a response of gratitude to God's favor already bestowed and not a means of gaining it. Which is why Paul begins this transition from chapter 2 to chapter 3 by saying this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, right? Chapter two is the things that Paul wanted us to be and turn away from. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And really everything that Paul is uh, trying to teach us today is found right there. Our past self that has died with Christ and which is now raised with him is the foundation for our present identity and God's, or rather as God's adopted children, whose status is real and secure, even though to a degree it remains hidden as we wait for everything to be fully brought to completion in the future when heaven is brought back down by Christ. Now, as we think about that, as we think about setting our mind on the things above, that doesn't mean that we only live to romantically look forward towards the new heaven and new earth. We don't simply just cast our eyes to this future day and sort of forsake all the things that are around us, although that is part of it. That is part of this uh, incredible and glorious and wondrous truth, but if that's the only part that we see, or if it's the only part that we try to understand from this text, then we'll miss what's available for us now. Because if everything is for the future, then we can forsake all the other things. But that's not what Paul is saying. Because it's not really like any of us have been swept into heaven, right? How many of us actually live in heaven today, right? Of course, none of us. So there must be uh, a purpose. Paul's words couldn't simply just be saying uh, that we are to focus on what's ahead. Just, just look and, and yearn and wander and, and just imagine that you're there already. That couldn't be what he's simply saying. Instead, we need to try and learn and understand what he wants to teach us or tell us about today. And I think that's here for us in chapter 3. 
Because our life, or rather, our new life in Christ does provide implications for that glorious tomorrow, but also for our actions and our attitudes and even our afflictions that go on today. There's an implication for the heavenly future, that glorious tomorrow, but also for our actions and our attitudes and our afflictions today. And I'm going to jump around a little bit in our passage today in these four verses. I'm not just going to walk one, two, three, four down the verses. I'm going to jump around a little bit, and I'm actually going to start with verse 3. So let me go ahead and reread that verse. So this is chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is our reality. Paul here is talking about very real and wonderful truths. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. But they are truths that can also be sort of confusing. When we read those, they can be sort of confusing if we don't actually apply what we already know from the rest of the Bible. Two things are mentioned here by Paul. One is a death. And two is a life that is hidden in Christ or, or, or hidden. So let me first explain this death that Paul is talking about that he brings up. For the Christian, this death is what happens to us at the moment of our salvation. All right, so we know physical death, we know uh, relational death, and we know uh, even spiritual death, which we're going to talk about. But this death is what happens to us at the moment of our salvation. Now, this doesn't happen physically. Right? People aren't just laying around all over the place in churches. We're not actually physically death. Instead, this type of death happens to us, again, spiritually. And here's what that means. At the moment, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's in Genesis 3, sin came into the world and it became part of them. And then, even though they were sent out from the garden as punishment for what they've done, Adam and Eve began to have children. They were still called to be fruitful and multiply. They, they went and had children, and of course, those children had children, and so on and so forth, and generations upon generation. And then the reality of all this comes to this, is that Adam and Eve didn't just pass down their physical nature, right? Like legs and arms and eyes and noses and ears and that sort of a thing. They didn't just pass down their physical nature, they also passed down their spiritual nature. And just like their physical nature, which because of sin had to face physical death, their spiritual nature was also affected by sin. Which means that everyone who was born naturally through birth, every person in the world receives both. They pass down their physical nature as well as their spiritual nature. We all receive Adam and Eve's physical nature and their sinful spiritual nature. Everyone. Again, this is the reality for everyone, everywhere, at birth. And the Bible is clear that no one is capable of escaping this reality. No one. No human being born is able to escape this reality. Paul says as much in Romans 3 when he's talking to the New Testament church, but he's quoting Old Testament truths that were there from the beginning. He's quoting uh, multiple Psalms and Ecclesiastes. He's also quoting the prophet Isaiah in that chapter of Romans 3. And that can be confusing. And honestly, for some of us, that could even feel a bit troubling because our world tells us that you, are, um, that, that you are good enough just the way that you are. 
So that biblical truth can really sound contradicting to what you've heard maybe your entire life. And the reality is, it does. It contradicts that false truth that you are good just the way that you are. In part, this is also why in John 3, Nicodemus, this incredibly wise and upright man, really a Pharisee, a man of the law, a man who who lived a, a good life, he went to Jesus and he tried to understand how salvation works. This man who wanted to honor God went to Christ and asked him about salvation. And Jesus' words for him were that you had to be born again. That's what he told them. You, you want salvation, you must be born again. But that didn't really clear things up for Nicodemus, so he asked more questions. And then basically, Jesus just explained to him the magnificence of the gift of his spirit and how we actually can't do anything to get what we need, but that salvation will be and is given by His Spirit, and that salvation can be freely received by anyone who is given a desire for it. That's in John 3 again. But you see, to be born again, we have to die. In order to be born again, we have to die. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new one has come. You and I, our old self in Christ has died. We have died to our old self and we are made into a new creation by Christ. Looking back at chapter 2, verse 12, Paul told the Colossian church there that they had been buried with Christ in baptism. He was encouraging them. He was thankful for their faith. He says, you have been buried in Christ in baptism. Now, we talked about it then. You can go back into the sermon archives and listen to that. But that act of baptism is pointing to the fact that the penalty for our sin has been paid. It's complete. It's over. It's done. The act of of paying the penalty for our sin has been paid. God, who is perfect and just, decided at the beginning that the wage for sin would be death. So we must die for our sins. We must. The penalty for our sins, we must die for our sins, but through our unification with Jesus, we did die the necessary death in Him. It's because of His work on the cross that our debt of sin is paid. And hear me, it's paid in full. Again, it's complete. We can find rest there. It can never, ever hold a claim over us again because, again, it has been paid in full. And this is true for you as well as it is true for me because our life, again, is hidden in Christ. Now, when Paul uses that word hidden, he isn't saying that this is a mystery. He isn't saying that there's some sort of secret in regards to salvation uh, because uh, as if there's something to be kept from people that we can't quite understand, like we're, we're hiding something under a, under a bed or in a closet. It's not that type of hiddenness. There are plenty of mysteries that only God can understand, but salvation isn't one of them because he directly tells us how we can receive it. Instead, what Paul is telling us is that our spiritual new life is hidden or it is kept safe in a secured place by Christ. Do you understand the difference? It's not hidden like kept away from people. It's hidden in a place that can never be gotten to. 
No one can take it from us because it is secured by Christ. Our new reality as believers, as adopted children of God, we who are the church are hidden with one another because Jesus Christ has secured our place with him because now we live in him. This, that's the good news. It's all in him. It has everything to do with Christ. Earlier I said that this union with Jesus is both a present reality and a future promise, and we can trust in Jesus for both. It is a present reality that you can find that renewal. You can find completeness. You can find fulfillment and security and all the the things you yearn for. You can find that in Him because it is a present reality, but it is also a future promise. And again, we can trust in Jesus for both. Look at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Douglas Moo, a commentator, says, Setting our hearts and minds on the things above and not on earthly things is both necessary and possible. It's necessary because our union with Christ means we no longer belong to the realm of this earth, but to a heavenly realm. And it is possible because our union with Christ severs us from the tyranny of the powers of this world and provides us with all the power needed to live our new life. It is both necessary for us to die to ourselves in this world, and it is also possible for us to do so because our life, is, again, is hidden in Christ. He just, Douglas Moo just pulled that from Colossians 1, 10 through 14. He just read the realities of the truth of what Scripture articulates to us about who we are in Christ. What Douglas Moo is getting at is that we who have died to our old self are, uh, and who are now alive... As born-again believers, we share in the gift of an inheritance that only belongs to Christ. We are given something that only, we get to share in and given something only that belongs to Christ. We don't need anything else from this world because we have all that we need waiting for us in the next. Again, both a present reality and a future promise. That means that you don't have to tirelessly strive for wealth or status or popularity in this world. You don't have to anxiously survive the difficult road of growing into maturity or finding your place with people. You don't need to even feel afraid of the evil uh, principalities and powers that surround this world because your status and your position and your protection is already accomplished and it's been given to you by Jesus Christ. By Jesus, who is the Christ? By Jesus, who is the promised Messiah from the beginning all the way to the end? He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one that was promised to Adam and Eve the moment that they sinned that would come and crush the, the, the head of the snake, the promised, uh, the promised one, the seed of Abraham. He is the one who is declared through all of Scripture, all of this, your status, position, and protection has been promised and given to you in Christ. That's such good news. I, I pray that you find the rest and Again, just renewal of life this morning in that truth. I pray that you remember that your identity is in Christ, that your freedom has been purchased for you, while you're remembering that we are whose we are and our home is actually with Him.
Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, of course, our heavenly status is great, and, uh, and it is a, a fantastic encouragement, as it should be. Looking up and forward should be, and it can help us to get through our todays and uh, or get through our todays for tomorrow as we long for tomorrow. It can get us through. There is a promise that things will get better. As we face difficulty, we can think of how, our, uh, how we won't always be uh, afflicted by sickness or death or disease or evil of this world. We can look forward, and it can be an encouragement, but our future residence which places us in His glory, is also to be a motivator as a way to orient our lives today. Our promised heavenly status is meant to be our navigation for how we think and act now. In Philippians 4, Paul challenges the church to think on what are the heavenly realities. He, says, uh, he tells them to think on the things that are pure and honorable just, true, lovely, commendable, excellent, anything that is uh, praiseworthy, he then says that we should practice these things, meaning that these things won't always come natural to us. But as we do them, the God of peace will be with us. Now, the God of peace, or the God of the Bible, is the God of peace because it's only by his love that we have anything to hope in. The God of, of the Bible, the God of all creation is called the God of peace because it's only by His love that we have anything to hope in. Right? Just think with me, kind of even in a worldly sense, peace that we feel comes from believing that we are appreciated and protected and provided for. And God's love reveals that in Jesus the Christ, all of that peace is accomplished for us. All the things that we yearn for is accomplished in Christ. There's nothing that you have to do. It's all done for you. He is also the reason why we have the new ability to love him back in the way that we live out our new life. Now, this is where Paul's letter is going to take us over the next few weeks. As we understand, again, this putting off of the old self and this taking on of the new self. And then really, as we practically walk this out as husband and wife and uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, and as we, we live in our, in our workplaces, there's some great practical knowledge that's going to come at the end of chapter 3. So I'm going to leave that there, sort of in anticipation for where we're going. But before I pray, let me ask you those two questions. Because Paul is telling this church, I'm talking about both the church in Colossae then and Maranatha today, that we have been raised with Christ. Find the joy there. Listen and feel the joy that we have been raised with Christ. We are secured by Christ and that we will be resurrected like Christ. This is and it always has been God's plan of redemption, even before Adam and Eve sinned. Even before sin came into the world, God has known, our, or has known His plan of redemption for us. Nothing is surprising of God. He has known all of this, and all of it is because of His never-stopping, never-ending, always and forever love, which is perfect and good and just. 
His love for us moved him to take on our life so we could live in the life that only he can give. That is the glorious news of the gospel, that he took on our life and provides us with his so we can live in him. So as you think on and seek those things that are above that Paul is talking about, as you leave here today and as you go into your community groups and you begin to discuss this reality of seeking and thinking, placing your heart, mind, and soul on those things that are in heaven, and how does that articulate your life today? Let me ask you these questions. What is something that you are doing because of your love for Jesus? What is something that you're doing because of your love for Jesus? And what is something that you will no longer do because of your love for Jesus? What is something that you will do or you are doing and what is something that you will no longer do because of your love for Jesus? If you would, please pray with me. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for your spirit that, that guides us and leads us and sustains us and brings about regeneration for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have transformed us, that we can see this truth, that we can hear this truth, Lord, and we can walk in it because who your Son is. We worship you simply because of who you are. I pray, Lord, that we don't depend on the sincerity of our own faith, but, Lord, on the reality of who Christ is and what he has done, and because you are our Lord and God. Thank you for this gift. I pray, Lord, for greater faith in myself. I pray for it for our church. I pray, Lord, that as you do that for us, that we find rest in this world. We praise you. Lift up your name in worship. It's in your son's name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.